0: Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for Book 5, Chapter 21. Um, Now, it has come to my attention that there is no Chapter 22 in most versions of the book. Chapter 22 of Book 5 is only a Maud thing. That's why I was saying it's like the shortest chapter in the whole book. Well, this chapter doesn't exist in... um, in most versions, so there's that, um, and also, um, wait, what am I saying? Oh yeah, also, Book Six, Chapter One is molded into this one. Sorry, I'm um, I'm talking weird because I'm trying to reopen my windows while I talk. multitasking you can always tell when I'm multitasking because my brain stops working so I'm actually recording this podcast right now for the second time in a row because um, the um, Reaper which is the program I used to record the audio um, recorded it with all buzzes and sort of noises all the way through it Uh, it was all glitched out for some reason and I say for some reason, but what I mean is for no reason. There's no reason why it did that. It just does it every now and then. It's just like, no, nah, not working. I'm not telling you I'm not working. I'm just not working. And then you end the episode and then you go to upload it and you notice that the waveform has all these weird little lines in it, these little weird, like, you can see the glitch in the waveform visually. And you go, oh, it's done that thing. And then you have to restart the computer. And restarting this computer takes about 15 minutes for some reason. And by for some reason, I mean for no reason. It just takes freaking ages. So there's that. I'm not, I'm not mad or anything. though. It's all good. I'm not, I'm not like pissed off or nothing. Anyway, um, where's my bloody book? Oh, it doesn't have the bloody book open. Now I've got to open up my copy of the book. It's all good. It's all good. I love it. I love doing this two times in a row. You know, I always think I like doing my podcast until I have to do it two times in a row. And then I don't like doing my podcast anymore for two times in a row. Um. Alright, chapter five... Uh, Book 5, chapter 22. You know what? I'm not going to do the discussion today. I'm going to do it because I've just done it. You know, I've just done it. And it's one thirty in the morning now. Um, Here's a little recap. Napoleon and Alexander, France and Russia, are allies now. And that's weird as hell. That must be very confusing for people like young Rostov, who, I guess, you know, Napoleon was this rock star, everyone admired him, and then he was the enemy, and that's confusing because, you know, it's like being an enemy with, yeah, I don't know, Bono, (laughs) you know, imagine that you're in Coldplay, and then they go, hey, we've got to go to war, ah, who with? Ah, with you too. And then you're like, oh, but I kind of like you too. I guess they're the enemy now. And then a bunch of you fight and, you know, about 100,000 of you die on each side. Just men, you know, French men, Russian men. And that sucks. And they die because, you know, our leaders, Napoleon and Alexander, can't come to an agreement and make peace. So, hey, we got to fight to the death, everyone so you do that and then a couple of years later well, even if it is a couple of years I think it's like a year later they're like oh hang on it's cool we've figured it out now we're friends again and it's just like couldn't you have done that like earlier before we killed each other couldn't you have like you know settled this peacefully without a hundred thousand or more men dying in the mud of loss of limbs but hey That's the way the cookie crumbled. Uh, Anyway, let's read. This is chapter 22, which doesn't exist in most copies of the book, but if you're reading Maud, this is book 5, chapter 22. It's extremely short. In 1809, the intimacy between the world's two arbiters, as Napoleon and Alexander were called, was such. That when Napoleon declared war on Austria, a Russian corps crossed the frontier to cooperate with our old enemy Bonaparte against our old ally, the Emperor of Austria. And in court circles, the possibility of marriage between Napoleon and one of Alexander's sisters was spoken of. But besides considerations of foreign policy, the attention of Russian society was at that time keenly directed at the internal changes that were being undertaken in all the departments of government. Life, meanwhile, real life, with its essential interests of health and sickness, toil and rest, and its intellectual interests in thought, science, poetry, music, love, friendship, hatred and passions, it went on as usual, independently of and apart from political friendship or enmity with Napoleon Bonaparte from all the schemes of reconstruction. There you go, that's Book 5, Chapter 22. Um, But yeah, as I said... We have to read two chapters today because Maud broke up a chapter into two parts. So now we're going to continue straight on and read Book 6, Chapter 1. Book 6 is called 1808 to 1810. And Chapter 1 goes like this. Prince André had spent two years continuously in the country. All the plans Pierre had attempted on his estates and constantly changing from one thing to another had never accomplished were carried out by Prince André without display and without perceptible difficulty. He had in the highest degree a practical tenacity which Pierre lacked, and without fuss or strain on his part, this set things going. On one of his estates, the 300 serfs were liberated and became free agricultural labourers, this being one of the first examples of the kind in Russia. On other estates, the serfs' compulsory labour was commuted for a quitrant. A trained midwife was engaged for Bogucharov at his expense, and a priest was paid to teach reading and writing to the children of the peasants and the household serfs. Prince Andrei spent half his time at Bald Hills with his father and his son, who was still in the care of nurses. The other half he spent at Bogucharov Cloister, as his father called Prince Andrei's estate. Despite the indifference to the affairs of the world he had expressed to Pierre, he diligently followed all that went on, received many books and to his surprise noticed that when he or his father had visitors from Petersburg the very vortex of life, those people lagged behind himself, who never left the country, in knowledge of what was happening in home and foreign affairs. Besides being occupied with his estates and reading a great variety of books, Prince Andrei was at this time busy with a critical survey of, the last, of our last two unfortunate campaigns and withdrawing up a proposal for a reform of the army rules and regulations. In the spring of 1809, he went to visit the Ryazan Estates, which had been inherited by his son, whose guardian he was. Warmed by the spring sunshine, he sat on the caliche looking at the new grass, the fresh leaves on the birches, and the first puffs of white spring clouds floating across the clear blue sky. He was not thinking of anything, but looked absent-mindedly and cheerfully from side to side. They crossed the ferry where he had talked with Pierre the year before. They went through the muddy village, past threshing floors and green fields of winter rye, downhill where snow still lodged near the bridge, uphill where the clay had been liquefied by the rain, past strips of stubble land and bushes touched with green here and there, and into a birch forest growing on both sides of the road. In the forest it was almost hot, no wind could be felt, the birches with their sticky green leaves were motionless, and lilac-coloured flowers and the first blades of green grass were pushing up and lifting last year's leaves. The coarse evergreen colour of the small fir trees scattered here and there among the birches was an unpleasant reminder of winter. On entering the forest, the horses began to snort and sweated visibly. Peter the footman made some remark to the coachman, the latter assented, but apparently the coachman's sympathy was not enough for Peter, and he turned on the box toward his master. How pleasant it is, Your Excellency, he said with a respectful smile. What? It's pleasant, Your Excellency. What is he talking about? thought Prince André. Oh, the spring, I suppose. He thought, as he turned around. Yes, really, everything is green already. How early? The birches and cherry and elders are coming out too. But the oak shows no sign yet. Ah, uh, here is one oak. At the edge of the road stood an oak, probably ten times the age of the birches that formed the forest. It was ten times as thick and twice as tall as they. It was an enormous tree, its girth twice as great as a man could embrace, and evidently long ago... Some of its branches had been broken off and its bark scarred. With its huge, ungainly limbs sprawling unsymmetrically and its gnarled hands and fingers, it stood an aged, stern, and scornful monster among the smaller, smiling birch trees. Only the dead-looking evergreen firs dotted about in the forest, and this oak refused to yield to the charm of spring and notice either the spring or the sunshine. Spring, love, happiness, this oak seemed to say. Are you not weary of that stupid, meaningless, constantly repeated fraud? Always the same, and always a fraud. There is no spring, no sun, no happiness. Look at those cramped, dead firs, ever the same, and at me, too, sticking out my broken and barked fingers, just where they have grown, whether from my back or my sides. As they have grown, so I stand, and I do not believe in your hopes and your lies." As he passed through the forest, Prince André turned several times to look at that oak as if expecting something from it. Under the oak, too, were flowers and grass, but it stood among them scowling, rigid, misshapen, and grim as ever. Yes, the oak is right, a thousand times right, thought Prince André. Let others, the young, yield afresh to that fraud. But we know life, our life is finished. A whole sequence of new thoughts, hopeless but mournfully pleasant, rose in his soul, in connection with that tree. During this journey, he, as it were, considered his life afresh, and arrived at this old conclusion, restful in its hopelessness that it was not for him to do begin anything anew but he must live out his life content to do no harm and not disturbing himself or desiring anything all right there we go there's another chapter for you prince andre is mostly concerned with an oak tree at the moment and having a bit of a hmm, existential is that the word He's having some apathy. He's he's, uh, kindred with this oak tree in that they both just refuse to blossom at this moment. All right, guys, have your say about this one over on the subreddit. Thanks for listening, and I will see you tomorrow.